We're in a series on commitment, commitment keeping, commitment making, commitment honoring. And we've been talking about commitment. My youngest daughter informed me the other day through my wife, there is a word for this thing we're dealing with on commitment and fear of it called FOMO, F-O-M-O. I had no idea, but all the young people know what it is, fear of missing out. And that keeps people from making a commitment because I want to be free. So we're going to talk about that today in our second in this series, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, reading out of the Passion Translation. Give generously and generous gifts will be given back to you. Shaken down to make room for more abundant gifts will be poured out on you with such overflowing measure it will run over the top. Your measurement of generosity will become the measurement of your return. So in this series, it's about the power of commitments. The power of commitment is remarkable. But we saw last week, we live in a culture that is afraid of commitment. If I make a commitment, I have to give up my freedom. I give up control. I give up my individuality. So there's a lot of fear about it. But there's an alternative opinion that says it's actually only when you make a commitment that you're free to find the kind of trust that makes for intimacy or makes for community. And we actually find our identity when we do this amazing thing to make a commitment and above all, a commitment to our God. So we saw this great story last week about this prophet named Elisha. And his commitment to follow God was so strong, he burned the plow, came from a wealthy family. It, it was a picture of him saying to the world and to God, I'm not going back to my old way of life. I'm going to follow God. So he burned the plow. And we talked about maybe we have some plows we need to burn. So today we're looking at the area where probably any, any place else, everybody in this room wants freedom, and that's financial freedom. So we'll talk about it today. Now, I really feel bad telling you this, but my own ticket to financial freedom actually came the first of this year in a letter. Now, I don't mean to make you feel bad, but I have to read it because I am so excited about it. And that letter said, and I quote, Dear Richard L. Godwin, you have been pre-selected. Not just selected, pre-selected. They're so excited about me, they selected me before they selected me. And then the letter goes on, in this new year with your new card. Now, this is from people giving me a brand new card. I didn't even ask for it. They just sent it. And they said, you can exercise your new financial freedom. People with outstanding financial credentials like yours deserve an outstanding credit card like ours. It's actually the platinum, gold, silver, double uranium card, and you have to keep it in a lead-lined wallet. So the letter goes on to say, I, your credit line matches your financial intelligence. Or in other words, I get the smart rate reserved for smart people. Apparently, dumb people have to pay a higher kind of dumb tax. Plus, they said, with every dollar you spend, we'll give you bonus points that will raise your credit ceiling. So in other words, if I borrow everything I can today, I'll be able to borrow even more tomorrow. Then they said, with a great rate like this, 
it makes sense to use your card and use it often. The sooner you start using your card, the sooner you start saving. Now, just do the math. The more you spend, they said, is the more I'm going to save. Now, to give me an even much more freedom, no matter how much of their money I use, they're going to let me make minimum payments that are a fraction of what I actually owe them. Then there's some stuff really unimportant, so they put it in fine print. And I want to actually look at that fine print because it's amazing, and some of you have never heard this. This is the way you can kind of figure this minimum payment deal. With the average credit card debt being at about $10,000, the interest rate on this particular special card offers a low, low 24.99% rate. No kidding. Then the minimum payment you could make on this much debt is $213.58. Why, that's hardly anything. You might be kind of interested. If you make the minimum payment, how long do you think it'll take you to be free and clear of that $10,000 debt? Let's say, for the sake of argument, you make the minimum payment every month, never miss a single one, and you do it for 10 years, a decade. You've paid in $26,930, but now you owe $11,790. Now, if you're astute, as I'm sure this crowd is today, you actually figured out you owe more now than you did when you got started because of the way interest and minimum payment works. Let's say you double your efforts. You say, I'm not going to give up on this, Rick. You go another 20 years. You don't miss a single minimum payment on that 10 grand. By year 20, you've now paid in $56,000 plus and now you owe $13,000. Ah, but you're a person of perseverance. You keep going. For 50 years, half a century, you're making minimum payments on that 10 grand every month. By year 50, you have now paid $165,000, and you now owe $17,515. Well, you're quite old, but you don't give up. You get your family to go on with this after you die. And, and this is not kidding. If you extend it out to the year 1000, I'm not making this up, you will have paid $5.1 billion and your heirs will still owe $212 million. Sheesh. Now, I hope all the wives are listening and all the young adults are listening. This minimum payment is a sucker punch. You never get out of debt. It is not the way to go, see? It turns out that freedom to get and acquire and borrow and hoard up ends up being a bondage in a lot of ways. But there's an alternative wisdom that is embedded in the kingdom of God about the role of commitment in our financial lives. And Jesus put it like this. Give, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it shall be measured back to you. 
So this is a commitment that leads to freedom in all areas, including financially, giving your time, giving your talent, giving your finances. Give, and it will be given to you. Give mercy, it'll come back. You know, give, give kindness and compassion. You reap it, it comes back. Now, as we get into this, because this is our text for the message, I need to be really careful to point out Jesus has not given us some sneaky way to grab more money. He's simply saying our God is a generous God, and God loves generosity. That's who He is. When we become generous people, we step into a dynamic that's deeply embedded in the way the kingdom of God works, not the way the world works. You can't outgive God. God just gives. It's his nature. It's his DNA. It's not what he does. It's who he is. Jesus makes this interesting statement. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. If you use a teaspoon, it'll come back in a teaspoon. If you use a shovel, it'll come back in a shovel. Strictly up to you. In other words, if I practice very little generosity, I will experience quite a small amount of the kingdom of God. However, if I use a large or more generous amount, it's going to come back, that kingdom and all of its benefits to me, very generously. Get, capture the, the, the thought there? So I want more of His presence, the kingdom in my life, including my financial life. So here's a really important question. What measure will I use as a believer? Jesus says, for with the measure you use, it shall be measured to you. Give, and it shall be given. So it's a law. It works like gravity. It's not a sneaky thing. It's just life in God's kingdom. Now, we live in a culture that will send us all kinds of messages about hold on to what you have. Get all you can. Can all you get. Sit on the can and poison the rest. I've noticed over the years that as people grow spiritually and mature, when people get connected to God, they tend to go through stages of generosity. And I want to walk through some of those stages with you this morning and ask you, what measure are you using? What measure do you want to use? Where are you as a follower of Jesus, if that's who you are, where are you? Well, here we go. Level number one, the give nothing level the give nothing level. This level, somebody just doesn't give anything anywhere. Now, this will involve a lot more people than you might think. A sociologist at Notre Dame University, Dr. Christian Smith, has done a lot of research in this area. In a study that he did, he found out that one out of five American Christians give away no money to charity whatsoever, not religious, not secular, nothing just no giving at all. And among folks with no faith, that percentage is even higher. What's kind of interesting about folks who give nothing is what will keep you giving nothing isn't what you think. It's what you don't think. You know, you won't be thinking about, I'm not giving anything. You won't be thinking about what you could give. You'll think about what you don't have. This is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. Verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Now, the experience here is the more I get, the less I'm satisfied. In our day, it's being called affluenza. Some kid, remember a few years ago, got into legal trouble in a criminal act 
and his parents got lawyers to try to plea deal him out of the guilty sentence because he's suffering from a new disease because he's been so spoiled and being given so much and he's entitled by so much stuff, he's afflicted with something they called affluenza. Only affluent people can get it. And it has impaired his ability to know right from wrong. Now, the Bible does not say if you have a lot of money, you're exempt from moral responsibility. But it does say loving money and an obsession with it can make you kind of crazy. It'll be associated with a certain way of thinking. And the number one tool the evil one uses to try to keep us in the give nothing category is distraction. It's, it's not about what you think. What am I giving or what am I not giving? It's to think about other stuff and to feel like, well, I'd never be able to give because there's just too much stuff I don't have. So a lot of people, well, they're captivated by that. A second thought that will be quite common for folks who give nothing, which is a lot of people in our culture and even among people who name Jesus as Lord, they think poor people must not be like me. Poor people probably don't work hard like I work hard. They probably don't have the ethic that I have. They probably don't mind being poor. They're probably just different. A lot of folks live with the thought, if I had more money, I'd be more generous. I've heard that till I want to throw up. In fact, the lower people's income, the higher percentage of money they give away. A, a year or so ago, I gave you a chart from, the, from this very survey done at this university across America, and it showed that the lower income people gave the highest percentage to charity. The more income you got, we went up above 250000 a year. It dropped to less than 2%. So that, that completely nullifies the argument, if I had more money, I'd give more money. Jesus put it like this, if you're not faithful with a little, you ain't going to be faithful with much. I didn't say that, Jesus said it. And you can squirm or get mad, but I'm just giving you a kingdom fact. So I, if I want to get more, he says, then you need to be trusted with the little amount that you do have. So the evil one will keep us thinking, I'm okay with just not giving anything. But that is not where God's kingdom is. Give, and it will be given to you, for with the measure you use, it shall be measured back to you. And a lot of times when you get to know God and you start to pursue spiritual growth, you'll say, I got to get out of that category. I can't just keep living, enjoying what God's done for me and give nothing. And that often leads to the next level. And that level is occasional giving, occasional giving. If I'm here, I might give something, but it tends to be sporadic. If I'm at church and the offering plate goes by, it might be kind of embarrassing not to give anything. So I'll pull out my wallet and I'll take a look. And if I have a bill in it and it's not too small, because that'd look kind of goofy, but it's not too big because that wouldn't be good. If it's just the right amount, I'll toss it in. Or if I see an ad for a real hungry kid in another part of the world, and I get moved in the moment, then I might give. But I don't want to be committed. I don't want to be tied down. I'll just give when the Spirit moves me. Now, in the research that I mentioned by Dr. Smith at Notre Dame, one guy who's a follower of Jesus said, Jesus said we're to give as we feel led. Now, can anybody tell me where there's a Bible verse where Jesus says, give as you feel led? That's a really hard one to find in the Bible. Paul said God loves a cheerful giver, but a lot of folks think, well, if I ain't cheerful, I'm not giving. 
<laughs> you know, I want us all, and me included, to learn how to love giving the way God does. There's this weird thing where if I give based on guilt, then when the guilt goes away, my motivation to give goes away. That's a crummy way to live in any area. There's an old story, true as far as I know, the IRS has an anonymous account called the conscience account. And if people have been cheating the government out of their taxes and their conscience starts bothering them, they can actually send money anonymously. And supposedly it got a note one time that said, Dear IRS, I have been cheating you on my taxes for years and my conscience is bothering me. Enclosed, find a check for $1,000. If my conscience doesn't feel better, I'll send the rest. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is if I'm just giving as a way to clear my conscience, then when my mood changes, my giving changes. See, if you're a kingdom person, what I do about forgiveness, what I do about love, what I do about respecting other people, what I do about giving is a lifestyle. It ain't a mood. If you're going to stay married, it ain't going to be by mood. It's a commitment. Is that right? Are y'all afraid to say amen or something? Uh, yeah. You don't tell me. I, I know a lot of you out there. Your, your mood's all over the place. And so is mine. We're people. We're humans. What holds us is not the mood. It's the commitment. I'm going to do the right thing because God said to do it. And sometimes I don't want to do it. So my mood's not good. My obedience is. And the reward's still there. That's good. Yeah, okay. The, thank you, Rick. Okay, so the Bible has quite a different kind of message around giving, and this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, that's the offering. D do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, that's Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. So, in other words, giving ought to be systematic, it ought to be proportional in keeping with your income, and it ought to be intentional, saving it up. Now, that leads to the next level of giving that occurs in folks on the spiritual journey if they're maturing, and that's the level of tithing. And I want to talk about this one because it's really misunderstood, and it's important for all of us to understand it. Tithing is talked about quite a lot in the Bible and goes all the way back in an Old Testament book called Leviticus. I'm sure it's on your refrigerator. Leviticus 27, verse 30, and there the Lord says, give a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, for it belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So there was this teaching that the first tenth called first fruits just belonged to God. Now, the next question is, what exactly does it mean to tithe? And I address this because that word tithe gets thrown around real loose by people in church. Someone might say, you know, Rick, I tithed $5 last week. Well, it would be a tithe if you made $50. A tithe literally means one-tenth, 10%. To tithe means I give 10% of my income that God blesses me with. I give it back to Him. Now, part of the teaching around this is that I give the first tenth. Remember, the Old Testament was written to an agrarian economy, and that usually referred to crops. They would use the word, the first fruit 
of an Israeli farmer was given to God. I give the very first tenth. And that means if I'm paying my bills, my first check I write is 10% goes to God. Tithing is something I do off the first 10%, not if I have it left over. And I'll show you why in a second. Now, next question, wasn't tithing part of the Old Testament law Jesus came to free us from? Well, let's talk about that because there's, there are people that say this. Actually, tithing goes back before the giving of the law. You might know Moses at Mount Sinai brought the Ten Commandments, brought the law. Tithing was practiced 400 years before the law. Abraham who goes way back before Moses, gave to a priest named Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he had. It goes all the way back before the law, and it has never been abolished. That's when Jesus comes along, and he does not say, now that I've come, you don't need to tithe anymore. In fact, he does mention tithing in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 42. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you're careful to tithe the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. In other words, Jesus says tithing is a good thing, but it's really kind of like having training wheels on your bike. It's going to move you towards justice and generosity. It is not the ceiling, it is the floor level. It's kindergarten. Is being generous likely to give less than 10% or more than 10% if you define generosity? I tell you, for me, for sure, it's going to be on the more side. And my guess that's true for a good number of folks here this morning or listening on live stream. After Jesus came and brought the love of God and gave his life for me and gave me the Holy Spirit and eternal life, probably being generous is not going to be less than a tithe. Now, here's why I think tithing can be a benchmark. It's not a legalistic thing. It's not how we go to heaven. It's helpful because it's a gauge. It's kind of a concrete way of saying, am I growing in my generosity? I mean, God's generous with grace, with mercy, with uh, so, so many wonderful things. Being generous in all areas of my life is a God thing. Just generous, you know, liberal. Here's another question some folks have when it comes to tithing. What if I can't afford to tithe? Now, this is actually the primary thought that keep most people from tithing. In this same research Dr. Christian Smith did, only 10% of people in the nation who follow Jesus gave a tenth or more of their income to God. And that number one reason would be, I can't afford to tithe. I can barely afford to live on what I'm making right now. I could never afford to do that. Now, every once in a while when I'm talking with somebody, if I know them, I'll respond to that one with, you know, I have never met anybody who got so generous with their giving, who got so carried away with it, they starved to death. Never met anybody. And Frank wrote, no one has ever become poor by giving. See, for most people I know, given our networks and our resources and our education we have access to, I haven't known anybody who gave so much they starved to death so that they literally could not afford to do it. Nah, it was a fear thing, that's all. Boo, I'm going to starve. 
Here's the thing. I think it's very unlikely that would happen for anybody. And here's part of why. We tend to think, you know, Rick, I can barely make it on 100% of what I'm living on. I could never make it on 90%. Now listen to this statement. You will not hear this very often. God is not asking you to make it on 90%. God is saying, trust me with the first 10% and then watch me get involved and make up that 10% even more than the 10%. See, he's not asking you to live on 90%. He's asking you to trust him. Will you trust me? Or are you going to let money be your chief source of security instead of me? See, the money thing is really the trust thing. There's a fundamental principle that money will bring us around to. You, you can't understand the value of money if money is your greatest value. If money is my chief source of security, it'll be my chief source of anxiety. It, it's an old saying, but it's true. 20 bucks is 20 bucks. I've heard that for years. It's kind of a goofy story, but it makes the point. There's this old couple, Pete and Maud. And they go to a carnival, and there's this pilot giving rides in an old biplane for 20 bucks. Pete really wants to go, but wife, Maud, says, no, man, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. I don't want to go on the trip. The pilot said, I've been hearing that debate for decades. I'm tired of it. Here's what I'll do. I'll take you up in this airplane. If you don't whine, if you don't scream, if you don't say a word, the ride's free. But if you make a sound, each one of you's got to pay 20 bucks. Well, they get in this old biplane. He takes off, goes up in the sky. It's unbelievable. He's doing barrel rolls. He's doing somersaults. He's doing loop-the-loops. He goes around twice, not a peep out of this old couple. He lands the plane, and he says, that is amazing. That is the most daring ride I have ever given anybody, and I can't believe I didn't hear a sound. You didn't even make a peep. And old Pete says, well, I almost did when Maud fell out of the plane. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was funny because 20 bucks is 20 bucks, except as a follower of Jesus, he said five loaves and two fish are five loaves and two fish except when you give them to Jesus. Then they're not five loaves and two fish anymore. They fed over 5,000. 20 bucks is 20 bucks except when you give it to Jesus, then look out. You don't know. There's this passage in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the gates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there won't be room enough to store it. Now, as far as I know, I would stand corrected, in all of the Bible, it is the only place where God invites people to test him, to test him in the business of tithing. It's like he knows we're so afraid, we're so unlikely to do that. Give, and it shall be given to you. That leads to one more level, just a brief word about, that's sacrificial giving sacrificial giving. Jesus was watching people give at the temple one time, and there's a widow. She shows up. She gives two of the smallest coins that existed. And he said to the disciples, she's given more than everybody else because she just trusted God with everything. You know, there have been a few occasions in our 44 years of marriage where Cindy and I have tasted that 
on a special occasion. You know, we've always given above the tithe to our local church here and then some to even other charities and ministries. But there have been some times in our lives when we had felt like doing something out of the ordinary, out of the box, a little bit scary, and we felt it'd be a good thing to do. I can tell you, although at the time it was a little bit scary, we both agreed we ought to do it, and we've never suffered because of it. You know, my little bit of fear about it doesn't, doesn't change the result of it. God comes through. So he and his wife, this guy I was talking to just recently, said they give over 30% of their income to God. He says, Rick, we haven't hit the pain point yet. Amazing. Amazing. I had dinner with another couple, came to this city completely bankrupt, owned nothing, had gone through a divorce, and from nothing has become a multimillionaire and a tither and above the tithe. It's amazing what God does just for a few, and we think they must be special. No, they're just obedient, and they just, God says, I give you permission to test me in this. I talked to another man in our church who owns his own business, and he says, boy, when we started giving the tithe, there were some months when I thought, we don't have a contract, what are we going to do? And he said, all of a sudden, the phone rang, somebody called our office, and we got a $50,000 contract. He said, it just keeps going, just keeps rolling. He said, I get scared every now and then, but God's always faithful, and He is. You know, the biggest risk you can run financially is not to trust God with anything with your money and forget that one day your life's going to end and money is not going to save you. You know, money didn't do any good to that Jeffrey Epstein, did it? This multi, this billionaire doesn't do him any good. I just read this week a parable. A guy gets visited by an angel and the angel says, okay, Sparky, I'll give you anything you want. He says, well, I'd like a copy of the Wall Street Journal a year into the future. Well, he gets it. He goes immediately to the stock market. He starts writing down stock prices, and he's thinking, I'm going to make a killing next year because I've got these prices. Then he happens to look over on the obituary page and sees his name. (laughs) Here's the deal. Money doesn't love you. Money didn't die on a cross for you. Money can't save you, but God loves you, and God loves to give. To be part of the kingdom of God, It's just test God and say, hey, God, I'm going to trust you with this. And God knows this is tough because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Your heart follows your treasure. And I want God to have my heart, this old corruptible thing, and it's always with treasure, see? And it leads to a kind of financial freedom that hoarding or acquiring or stinginess will never have. Give, and it will be given to you. For with the same measure you use, it's all up to you, it shall be measured to you. So, Summit, let's measure really well, living like we do, in the greatest wealth-producing country in the history of the human race. Let's use a really good measure. Would you pray with me right now, heads bowed? Heavenly Father, honestly, you know the truth about all of us. You know, we're just easily scared when it comes to finances. It just feels to us like our security or our identity or our worth or our success or our peace or our satisfaction is all wrapped up in a special house or a bank account or a lifestyle. We thank you, God, that you're a generous God and that you love to give. 
Help us learn that kind of generosity. Help us learn to follow Jesus with great courage and great trust, knowing you will never let one word of your promise ever fall to the ground unanswered. We can trust you. We don't want to have to trust the government, Social Security, our insurance plan. Thank you for all of those. But our ultimate trust has to be in you. You will never leave us, never forsake us. David said at the end of his life, I've been young and I've been old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children in a bread line. It won't happen. You can trust God by honoring Him. And you can tithe your time, your talent, and your treasure. There's great talent given to many of you. And whether you're a celebrity or a sports star or a business CEO, God gave you that ability, and God expects you to give a portion of it into His kingdom to help others. Are you using your talent as a tithe to help the kingdom, to help other people? God says, to whom much is given, much is required. If God gives you time, use some of that time, not on yourself, but to help others. We've got Chosen coming up, big conference. We need four or five hundred volunteers. Couldn't you give a, Saturday, a Friday night and a Saturday to help some 2,000 women and different people come to know Jesus or be encouraged in their walk with Jesus by giving your time to serve? It's a kingdom responsibility. Make that commitment. Go out to a table and sign up and say, count on me wherever you want me to serve for that conference. I'll be here. That's tithing too. Give and it shall be given to you. You will never get poor by being a generous person with your time, your talent, or your treasure. Not possible. God says so. So you can test him or you can just live in fear and live small. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.